Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Who wants to talk about sin? Sin, there's so many of you sinners here today, and so many of the sun-loving sinners who stayed home or somewhere. They're probably camping out in the wonderful woods here in New Mexico. Thanks for joining us online. Glad to have all of you here today. But today we're going to talk about sin, and we're going to talk about love, and is love stronger than your sin? Think about what you deal with on a weekly basis. Some of you, I can look out there and see that you deal with sin a lot, or sin, sin deals with you. I'm a pastor. I can see that. A lot of people can't see that, but I can. Unfortunately for me, not for you, you know. But <clears throat> sin is a big deal because it's such a polarizing subject. I mean, there was a time when people understood their sin and they knew that they were in rebellion, but there was so much biblical education and knowledge throughout the, the world. But now, uh, sin can be seen as an option, right? Sin is an option. Well, I, you know, that's for religious people that are, you know, they're, they're always kind of, you know, off and weird and kooky, the conspiracy theories like sin and so forth. But the problem is, is that whatever you call it, it's still here on the earth, and it's still doing its job. You know? I mean, we like to narrow things down to sin that's like, well, you know, uh, <clears throat> I have to confess to you the other day, you know, I sit down and watch TV, and, uh, you know, there was a bag of chips right there, and it just came there, and I think Satan put it there right next to uh, that, you know, that really good, you know, uh, sour cream and, uh, what do you call that, green chili dip. Uh, that's Satan's choice. I know that. But uh, anyway, so uh, I was going to just have a couple of chips, and pretty soon I had the whole bag, and I was thinking about going to the store and buying another one. That's the problem with sin, isn't it? Sin's one of those things where it's like, this is going to be so good. Yeah. And then when you're done, it's like, why did I do that? And then you're condemned. Now, that is a very minor infraction of human sinfulness. Would you say amen to that? I mean, we've all eaten one too many bags of chips. Can we agree to that? All right. But let's look at the bigger issue. The bigger issue is, is that in our message today, we're going, to talk, we're going to hear words like sin and love. We're going to talk about grace. We're going to talk about a very interesting, big, high-powered word called propitiation. Uh, it's not a skin disease. It's actually something really good. But here's, here's the point in all of this, is that though we deny it, we can call it whatever we want to, it still exists, Okay. Take, for an instance, slavery. When you think of slavery, most of us think of something that happened in the past, and specifically within our own country, our own terrible history, and the misjustice of slavery in our own land. But slavery, my friends, has been a part of humanity from the beginning. People love to enslave other people, and we think of that in times past and less advanced cultures. My friends, there's more slaves today probably than at any time. 
I just made that up. No, it's true. There are a lot of us slaves today. But you have people, in fact, I went online this week and looked at all the organizations that are out there to try to, to stop human trafficking and the sale of slaves all around the world. It's an epidemic. And which, aren't we more advanced? Don't we have vaccines for this to keep people from wanting to enslave other people? No, we don't. We don't. It's still a problem. It's still a problem today, even with all of our technology. No, I'm sorry. It hasn't saved us yet. We're still doing this crazy stuff that breaks up the world and harms people. You know that there are organizations today that gather money together, and they go out and find these slave traders and buy other human beings to let them free and give them a good life. Many of those, if not most, are believers. And there is a theme here. Because in this passage, we're going to see that there's a close connection to sin and slavery. And it was a ready example that was there for Paul and for Jesus. That those who are enslaved to sin become a slave of it to the point that they don't have a choice of their involvement in it. And it takes over. And the problem is that it has run rampant throughout the world, okay? We're not just talking about little formulaic, uh, good gospel sense that, that says, this is what good people do and this is what bad people do. And you want to be a good person, so be this person. Don't be a bad person. And then we like to measure sin with each other, you know? Well, at least I'm like... like my brother over there, he had two bags of chips. That's excess. In fact, I remember a story of the great evangelist Dwight L. Moody. And uh, Dwight L. Moody probably had more than his share of chips during his day. But he met Charles Spurgeon, the great Victorian preacher. And Spurgeon was known for smoking cigars. Well, when D.L. met him, he saw him smoking cigars. And he said, what? The great pastor? The gr you're smoking cigars? She goes, isn't that a sin? And he said, no, I never smoke to the point of excess. And he said, what's the point of excess? He said, two at a time, of course. <laughs> we always have a way to excuse whatever situation we got going on with us right now, right? There's always somebody who's doing something worse. And, and so... Here, here's, here's my point. When it comes to sin, we can trivialize it and say it doesn't really mean anything. It's just from religious people and they're trying to control us. And let's just do away with the idea of sin. Okay, you can do away with the idea of sin and the label of sin, but it's still going to go on. It's not stopping anything by not calling it what it is, okay? Maybe an unpopular term, but it's very accurate, okay? In fact, there's a problem with sin. The word used mostly throughout the New Testament is hamartia. That's a Greek word for t uh, sin. I like it because it sounds like somebody in New Mexico, um, you know, made it up. Like, could I get some hamartias with, <laughs> with my chips, please? I will have that. But it's been boiled down, you know, very popularly to say that sin is missing the mark. And that's not... It's sort of it, not completely it. In fact, let me just give you a little bit more. Sin is missing the true end 
okay, of the scope of our lives, which God, which is God, an offense in relation to God with emphasis on guilt. You see, there is a completion aspect to our lives. And the implication of sin is that we have skipped or bypassed a part of that and that part that leads us to God himself. And as we come to God himself, our lives become completed in that, that he first loved us and then we return the love to him. And then in that, there is a growth and maturation process that allows us to further, okay, inhabit the life that God wants us to, to inhabit, Okay? He didn't intend for us to be slaves to sin continuously. Sin is also defined as the personification as a destructive and depraved principle reigning over the unbelieving world and persisting in believers, especially as a slave master doling out payment with the currency of death and decay. You see... <laughs> It is a very appropriate analogy to make that sin holds people down. Sin does not allow people to fully express or achieve or reach for God and what God wants. Think about it just for a second. <clears throat> sin... If, if we take the image or the view that sin is connected to slavery in some way, we'd have to say that sin uh, brings a person down. It doesn't lift them up. You know, it's, it's not like you hear people walking through, you know, the church on Sunday morning, man, did I sin it up last night. I feel so good. I don't even know why I'm here today. Right? We, we always see it as some kind of destructive thing, this element that's tearing a person down. And, 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 and Jesus and Paul go on to say that it's more insidious than that. They say, you know what? It's something that enslaves and holds people in bondage. That means that they need some intervention, someone who has power and ability above their own ability. Severely, does a slave ever reach freedom on their own. It is because someone else comes along and pays the price, and that's the point. Look with me at Romans chapter 5, verse uh, 12. Therefore, Paul speaking, he says, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and this, in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law or the Torah was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account when there's no law, okay? Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So let's break this down just for a second. He's saying here that before the law came, as God delivered to Moses on Mount Sinai for the children of Israel, before that came, there was sin in the world, but it wasn't that obvious because there was no uh, directive against it, okay? But we're also told in the beginning of Romans that God, okay, said that there is a natural law in this world that even the very coding of nature lets us know when something is wrong. 
okay? Something that we're doing is wrong. There, there's something inherent within us, within us that we know that what we're doing is not right, not efficacious, doesn't help out, doesn't help anybody out. But he said, once the Torah, the law came, then I knew specifically how I was blowing it. And this was supposed to be a tutor, Paul told us, to bring us to God to see the futility of our own abilities and say, I need help. I can't believe that this is what you want for me, that this is what you want for the world, and I need help. It's it's instituted to speed up the process of conviction so that a person will seek quicker God's help. All right, makes sense? Let's look at chapter 6, verse 19. We'll look at some sin and slavery. I'm using an example of everyday life because of our human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. You say, well, that's not very good. You're getting one slave into you're turning into another slave. Well, it depends upon the master. That's what, that's what the, the story is here. Okay, it depends on the master. Verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Isn't that true? He says, when you're enslaved to sin, you don't necessarily know that it's sin, nor do you care if it's sin. You're following your own conscience, you're doing whatever you believe is right in your own eyes, and no one can tell you otherwise. And and because of that, you're in many respects free from the law of, of righteousness, okay? Why? Because you have no conscience toward God and therefore do not care about what he has to say. And Paul is drawing a contradistinction between those who had turned their life over and become Christ followers and those who were not there yet, okay? Now, verse 21. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things that you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. You see, there's this constant theme. Sin results in death. Sin results in death. Sin results in death. Sin results in death. That's the message that we get. In the garden, Adam and Eve sinned. What happened? In the day that you eat of this, you shall surely die. What does that mean? It means that eventually you're going to die. And they did. It took a long time, but they did. But there's a spiritual death there. And the consequences of that sin are death. And we avoid death like crazy, right? Most of us are wearing masks. My my wife's at home today with her arm basically paralyzed (laughs) because um, I hit her really hard in it uh, after she got the vaccination. And it's probably a bad move. No, anyway, we wear a mask. We, We take precautions. Why? Because we... Uh, have been trained to avoid death. So many hospitals. It's not something we're looking to, but it, it is a consequence of this life in this world. And it's something that human beings have to deal with. Now, he says that all the things that you did before, he said, you look back and you're ashamed of them now. What benefit did they bring to you? And that's the contradistinction that Jesus is bringing, or or Paul's bringing here, is that Jesus is calling people to life, to leave this behind. So we can't. Well, good. I've got a way for you to leave it, and I've got an escape plan for you. But, But the real reason is I'm tired of you people not being able to live a life that I want you to live. 
that you were intended to. Not a life apart from me, but a life full with me, expanding and growing and not fearing death. Not fearing these things because you're no longer enslaved. You see, when you're enslaved, that whoever your master is, that person controls you. No matter what sin it is or what ideology, doesn't matter. It controls you, and you would never think about going against the one that controls you because they can make your life miserable. Okay? There's fear involved in that. And Jesus says, I do not want that. Therefore, I am going to be involved. First John chapter 2. My dear children, I write to you so that you'll not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate or a lawyer or a, a priest with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Uh, the word that's often translated in other translations, this here it's called the atoning sacrifice. The word that's translated is propitiation. Okay, propitiation. Can you say that five times in a row? It sounds like a skin disease, doesn't it? Well, I, I had to stop by the pharmacy to pick up some cream for my propitiation. But actually, it's really a good word. It's a word that... that speaks about appropriate payment. In fact, within the Greek culture, you had many gods and goddesses. And so it was seen that, that you may have offended one god and your crops are going bad, and so you need to offer the right sacrifice because you need to appease the wrath of the god who's going to get you and your crops. Or you want a blessing because you don't have any kids, and so you uh, give the right and appropriate <clears throat> uh, payment to God through a sacrifice and that God, it should appease God, find favor with God, and you move on. It meant the appropriate payment due, period. Okay? Now, <clears throat> it says that he paid not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay, now that's a big checkbook. That's a very, <clears throat> very big checkbook to do. In fact, Jesus, if he was going to buy people, there has to be a really good reason why. And here's the reason. I believe it's because his nature. Who he is as a person, okay? Let's just back up just a little bit. It says that he was the atoning sacrifice. Atoning means that he put everything right and put it back together. Now, I'm going to say something here that many of you have known these things. You've, you've understood them, and, and it may be rote for memory for you. But we have to establish a baseline because God is not just transactional. or this is not a ma Salvation is not a mathematical formula. It's all relational, and it's based upon the personality and nature of God himself, okay? Especially Jesus Christ, because we see the face of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Exact representation of who he is, exactly what God wants to represent in this world. But he tells on himself. Last couple of weeks, we've been studying about love versus hate and love versus fear, and we find out in, in 1 John that 
it says, God is love. As to his absolute essence, as to the core of who he is, he is love. And so because he is love, we see his grace appear because grace is that expression of love to give people who didn't deserve it to bless those who don't deserve it. There's another thing that we notice about his personality is that he likes broken things. Many of you who are hoarders, I mean <coughs> collectors, uh, <laughs> you like broken stuff, I know. And you like going to the secondhand store. Some of you, you even like to go out to the dump. Well, that's Jesus, okay? I'm not trying to be sacrilegious here. I mean, he could have had, he has so many options because he has so much power. He could have done so much, but this story that he was writing about himself and about this world and the people that he cares about is so dynamic. This becomes an element of self-expression for him because he loves to take things that are broken, worn out, used up, not valuable to anybody else, take them in, shine them up, and let them glow. I have a friend who sells stuff on eBay, sells stuff online, and he knows the value of everything in the world. And it's so much fun to go with him because this whole group of people that go to estate sales and they're looking for stuff, I walk in with them and I'm like, this place is junk, junk everywhere. Just pull a bulldozer in here and get rid of it. And pretty soon he walks around, picks something up, picks a couple of other things up. And I said, what did you find? That looks terrible. He said, this right here I paid about 150 bucks for, and I can sell it for about 2,500 bucks. Oh, okay. So your knowledge and your appreciation of things makes a difference. With slaves, you can look at them and say, they're just slaves. They belong to somebody else. They don't have any rights of their own. They're not important. Who would care to redeem them? Well, if you ask the nature of Jesus, he's going to say, well, that's what I do. That's who I am. And that's why I do what I do. You see, in order to buy a whole world that is enslaved, you got to be rich. You got to be real rich. I mean, more than Bezos rich. Although, if I put a mask on, I kind of look like Bezos. Just a little bit. Hmm. Didn't mean any disrespect, sir, if you're watching us. But you've got to be rich if you're going to free all of these people. But he was. He was very rich in the sense that Justice, in order for it to be served, sin needed to be judged. And it would either be judged individually by people who have rejected God, or it would be judged in the one person rich enough to do it, who was righteous enough to do it, and that was Jesus. And he says, you know what? They may not be precious to anybody else, but they are to me and they're worth it to me, and they're worth everything that I have. That, my friends, is Jesus Christ. Here's his grace and love. Look at verse 18 of chapter 5. Consequently, 
Just as one trespass or sin resulted in the condemnation of all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. That's one is Adam, one is Jesus. For just as though the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You say, how does that happen? Well, it's been stated that mercy, okay, you cry out for mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Like somebody's fixing to pound you and you cry for mercy and you deserved it and they give you mercy and they don't pound you. Grace, on the other hand, is getting what you don't deserve in the positive. Like you didn't do anything to deserve the good way that you're being treated, the way that you're being blessed by God. I know, that's grace. Grace is that part of God who says, you know, this is what I do. This is an expression of my love. I like to show grace and forbearance on on people that everybody else would throw away. Others would enslave. Evil supernaturalism enslave. Other human agencies. Not me. Not me. I want to do good. And I want to see them blessed. And I want to see them flourish. If you ever think that God's trying to restrict you from a good life, you got to flip the script. That's all wrong. That's the wrong direction. He wants you to have a great life. And He knows you can't have it on your own. You need some help. You need some help. And that's what He's done. He intervenes because that's who he is. Love and grace are God's expression of who he is, his nature. Now, analogies, I know, fail, and they fail often, but let me be another to try it. Imagine being back in that time and era. You had the Romans who trafficked in slaves. They enslaved people from all various parts of the world, different provinces. And you find yourself as a slave, and you're there with a slave trader. You're at the market, and this guy comes up to you and says, listen, I want to buy this person. In fact, I want to buy a bunch of these people. And one of the slaves says, you know what? I don't really know about that guy, but he doesn't seem that rich. I've worked so hard my whole life as a slave. I would rather go with somebody who, who's got some clout. I want an easier life. And so finally, the trader looks at the slave and says, hey, you just need to know a few things, okay? You need to know a few things. Number one, all of these other guys around here, they're not bidding on you and they don't want you. You're already enslaved to somebody and they're wanting to sell you. The guy that you're rejecting seems to be the guy that will buy all the ones that are messed up and and can't perform as well as the rest. In fact, he'll take anybody. What does he do with them? He doesn't look rich. Well, he's very rich. In fact, he's never had run out of money at all. He can pay for all of them. But what he does, though, is that it's what he does is he. He buys them, and what we hear is that he frees most of them, frees them. And most of them return to him 
and serve him and live with him and further his kingdom. That's how great he is. You see, the difference, he would say, is the character and nature of this person versus the character and nature of everyone else. One of the things that we have to deal with as, as believers is explaining ourselves why the exclusivity of Christ. Why, do you ha- why does it have to be Jesus or nothing? Why can't it be, and just name the list of different gods, goddesses, churches, ideologies, philosophies, whatever. Why can't it just, just pick one and that's all that matters. God sees your heart and that it doesn't really matter. Because the problem is, that would be okay if it didn't matter, but obviously it does. Because here's what I'm going to propose to you today. The reason that the, the doorway is so narrow is because there's only one who had enough clout, money, and righteousness to do it, and he did it. No one else would. What did the kingdoms of this world do when they get power in their hands? Oh, they just bless people, don't they? And he gave you some more power. Oh, get ready for the blessing. Get ready for the hammer over the head. Human beings love power. Why? Because it increases my ability to be evil, you know? Right? Think of a lot of the world leaders who've tried to take over the world. Why are you trying to take over the world? Why are you murdering so many people? It's just in my nature. Jesus is the only one because there's no other. That's why it's so exclusive is because it's the very nature of God and everything else comes off as a fraud. Oh, there's some great ideas out there, great philosophies out there, some great religions. But nobody offers what Jesus did, and nobody had enough money, clout, power, or authority to pay for what he did. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. By making it one door, it meant that everybody can come through. It meant that there's no confusion whatsoever, not on the part of God. It's one of the things that makes it so clear within the gospel of the New Testament is that there is one way to God. And that doesn't mean that if you're a Christ follower today that you can sit back and go, <laughs> I knew I was right. <clears throat> Wrong. It should be a sense of awe-inspiring love and devotion. That word grace, charis, that we talk about is a word that is used in Scripture because it, it gives us an example of how beautiful this action is. You know, when you see something amazing, you stand back and you're, you're just in awe. It's wonderful, you know. I'm sure that's the way my wife thought when the first time she saw me. I mean, she never said that, but I, I felt it 
you know, I felt it right in here. You, as a guy, you know these things. Anybody remember the Miss America contest? Is it even still around anymore? Really? It was right in there with the Oscars this year. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but back in the day, you, you had this Miss America contest, and, and they had to be bright, and they had to be beautiful, and they were from all different states. And eventually, the hope and dream was that at the end of the contest, you would hear your name. And then once that you heard your name, then all of a sudden, you would take that long walk down the runway. And remember, some, old, some guy, not no old guy. There are no old guys anymore since I'm of a certain age. It's the, they're either young or younger. But... <laughs> What would happen is she began to walk down this long aisle, solo, in front of everyone with a crown on, and like Wink Martindale or I don't know, so one of those guys would sing, there she is, Miss America. And we all just stunned, you know. That is another picture from language used in the New Testament era for grace. Grace is a thing of beauty that we stand back and we look at it and we go, wow, that is amazing. And if we're able to appreciate it, we're able to look at God and what God does and say, wow, your grace is so, so wonderful in my life. But to see it on a broad spectrum, you are truly an amazing person. I believe that's kind of the point with him. We can trust him. We can trust him with our sin. He already knew. Even while your enemies, before you even knew him, he he died for our sins. He knew he would. He's not shocked. He's not walking around and going to the Father and saying, I'm so embarrassed. These believers, these Christians are terrible. What am I going to do? He knew. He just likes to show you how much he loves. It's kind of his bragging thing. And what a perfect, more perfect group of people than us to display your kindness and your goodness. God is greater than your sin. God's love is greater than any sin, all sin, every sin. God's love is greater. And if you give him a half of a chance, he'll turn that thing around and make it into something beautiful. God makes beautiful things. He likes making it out of the dirt. So, if you're feeling pretty sinful today, good news. You're a perfect candidate for Jesus and his way of life. And I suggest that you turn to him as quickly as possible. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never cried out to God and asked him for forgiveness, step out in faith and do it. He's the only one that needs to hear your heart. He's the only one that needs to know where you stand. But I, but I, but I know this. He says, if you will call upon me, I will in no wise cast you out. Anybody, anybody, even your family members, even the people that you think that are too far gone, God can hear their voices as well. You see, 
because God's love is stronger than your sin. Father, thank you for our time this morning. We pray that you'd fill us with your spirit. Lord, thank you for your love and for the grace that you so wonderfully bestowed upon us, giving us blessings when we didn't deserve it. And Lord, we stand in awe of it. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be tender toward you, toward each other, toward uh, folks in this world, that we wouldn't see ourselves or need to be judgmental, Lord, but realize that our our job is to direct people to you, a, a source of real help, the only one. We ask, Lord, for your protection and your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand? We'll sing together. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.